So if you've got the red church Bibles, this is page 73, and we're splitting the reading tonight. Um, We're going to read from Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 to verse 18, and then again from verse 17, uh, sorry, chapter 17, verse 1 to 7. Let's hear God's word together. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And then from chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from, pl- from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, 
Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Continuing our studies in Exodus, um, and this story of uh, a journey to true freedom. Um, we're actually going to be looking at, uh, starting from the end of chapter 15, going through right to the end of chapter 17. But we felt that, that was, I think that, uh, that uh, we felt that, that was a little bit much to try and read all at once um, during the, the service. Um, but we're going to cover f- four different stories um, on the journey of the Israelites during the Exodus. Go to Helps if you turn it on. So we're going to look at four stories. The waters of uh, of Mara. Uh, We're going to look at uh, the manna and the quail, the the story that we read. We're going to look at water from the rock. And then finally, um, in the end of chapter 17, the defeat of the Amalekites. And uh, there's quite a lot of material in there. So uh, we're going to... briefly review each of those stories and pick up some of the main elements of them. And then we're going to try and tie those things together um, to see what it is that uh, God may be uh, wanting us to learn from them and maybe what he was trying to teach the Israelites um, through these events on their journey out of Egypt. Uh, Just before we start, let's just uh, open in prayer. Commit ourselves to the Lord. Father, as we study these passages now, as we look at your word, as we look at what it is that you might have to say to us from these passages, we pray that you would speak through me, Father, by your spirit, that our hearts would be opened to your voice and your voice alone. Father, help us to be able to reflect, even as we uh, listen to your voice, on how we need to take those Uh, words, uh, those instructions, and put them into practice in our own lives, and just how that fits into our everyday life. Father, we pray that we would be seeking uh, to respond to you uh, in this time. In your name, amen. So I want to start with um, maybe giving us a little bit of a picture uh, of what we see, because I think sometimes we, certainly I, get a little bit lost and start to minimise Uh, some of the pictures uh, that we have in Exodus. Um, We are talking about a number of people. Uh, Exodus 12, verse 37, talks about 600,000 men leaving Egypt. Um, If you scale that up, uh, people reckon there's possibly two to three million people who 
left Egypt as part of the Exodus. Uh, that's a lot of people. Uh, just to give you an idea of how many people, the entire population of Shropshire is 320,000. It's e roughly equivalent to the combined populations of Manchester, Birmingham and Liverpool. Or the entire population of the wider West Midlands. If you think about a people on the road and camping, moving around, maybe think of Glastonbury. Uh, 210,000 people. Uh, so if you scale that up, Two to three million people is a lot of people moving at the same time across a rather large area. Imagine trying to feed that many people and water that many people. And that doesn't take into account all of the livestock that they've been given by the Egyptians on their way out. If you were to give each person a sandwich, you would be talking about 265,000 loaves of bread. And that would be equivalent to about 17 articulated lorries. Uh, that would feed them for maybe one meal. Um, that's a lot of food to find, and that's just the bread. And in terms of water, uh, the recommended daily allowance, you'd be talking about 5 million litres, or the same as 200 tankers. Um, whoever was responsible for looking after the people of Israel as they left Egypt uh, should get a, a medal. The story that we pick up, uh, they've passed through the uh, Red Sea, uh, passage that we haven't looked at on a Sunday evening, but we looked briefly at on ch last Tuesday, where they praised God for uh, bringing them safely out of Egypt and through the waters of the Red Sea. And they're on the way, if we look ahead, to, the, to Mount Sinai and that occasion where God will give them his law. This is a journey. We're in the middle of that journey and there is a process that God is in the middle of with his people. They may have been released from Egypt. They may no longer be captives. They may be his people, but do they know how to live as his people? Do they know how to respond to him as his people? Do they know what it means to be his people. What we do know is that God knows them and God knows where they've come from. Just like each and every one of us, God knows us and God knows where we have come from and he knows where he wants to take us. He is taking his people to the promised land but there is a process that he wants to take them through first. If you turn to uh, Exodus uh, 15 and verse 22, 
we see that start of that first journey, that first part of what we're looking at, the waters of Mara and Elam. Moses, under God's instruction, has led the Israelites away from the Red Sea and into the desert. He's led three million people into a barren wilderness. That doesn't seem the wisest of ideas. It doesn't seem the wisest of routes. Steve, last week, as he was talking about the Red Sea, explained that going to the Red, and crossing the Red Sea was not the shortest route to the Promised Land. God had a purpose with taking them a different way. And God has his purpose in bringing his people into a place where they will struggle and battle to find enough food and enough water to keep them alive, to keep them going. So, this first passage, the waters of Mara. They're struggling to find water, and then they find water, verse 23 of chapter 15. They could not drink its water. They found water, but they can't drink it. It's too bitter. It is not drinkable. It's not fit to drink. They've been traveling for a while, and it's quite possible that they've been gradually finding less and less water. And initially, it's okay, we'll find some water tomorrow, we'll find some water tomorrow. But it gets to the point where they really need water and what they've found isn't drinkable. And so it's perfectly understandable for the people to grumble. Very, very common human trait. A very understandable human trait. Moses seeks the Lord. God shows him what to do. He shows him a piece of wood. After Moses throws that into the water, it becomes unfit, it becomes fit to drink. The water is now drinkable. And God makes one of his first promises to the people of Israel as the people of Israel. That if they obey him, if they listen to him and obey him, he will not judge them as he did the Egyptians. And verse 15 finishes with God leading them to a place where there is fully drinkable water. Twelve springs and 70 palm trees at Elam. Maybe it doesn't sound enough to feed two to three million people. But he's given them a place where they can rest. Where their trust in him has been rewarded. Let's move on to the manner in the quail. Chapter 16, as we read. The whole group of the Israelites move out from Elam, going again into the desert. Again, after a, a while of traveling, they're struggling to find food. They're struggling to find something to eat. And they start to hark back to the life they had in Egypt. 
when they didn't have to struggle to find food. But the heart grows fond and forgets the challenges of our past lives, don't they? Our past situations. They've forgotten the hardships that they faced. They've forgotten the work that they had to do, that they were forced to do. Instead, all they can think of is how satisfied they were. But the Lord, uh, the Lord preempts Moses um, coming to him. And the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread in heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. The Lord knows what is happening. And has an answer. And has a response. But there are rules amongst God's provision of food and of rest. We often think of this story of the man and quail as the time when God provided food for his people. But if you notice, there is also a provision about resting on the Sabbath. This is the first that we really hear of the Sabbath. The well-known part of the Ten Commandments is yet to happen. God is already preparing his people for that commandment. Preparing for them to be ready to rest on one day of the week. He also puts rules that the people are not supposed to go and collect food on that Sabbath, but they are supposed to collect double the amount on the Friday, on the day before, to enable them to be able to eat, to be satisfied on the Sabbath. Towards the end of chapter 16, we see that God instructs Moses and Aaron to keep some of this manna as a reminder of what he is doing, of his provision. God's promise is that they will be able to feast on this as long as they need to. And as we know, they were in the desert for 40 years. And for 40 years, God provided them morning and evening, manna and quail, bread and meat. Notice that this is exactly what they were groaning about, what they were harking back to back in Egypt. They they remembered the pots of meat and having all the bread that they wanted. And God provides them with bread and meat, enough to satisfy them day in, day out. Let's move on to chapter 17 and the water from the rock. The people keep repeating the same issue. They keep struggling to find 
what they need, food and water, in this case, water. And instead of saying to the Lord or saying to Moses, we need water and you can provide it, we've seen this, we've seen this happen um, at uh, Mara, and we've seen this happen um, with the manna and the quail. So you can provide again, and we need your provision. Instead, they quarrel. Notice it's a step, step worse than just grumbling. This is starting to get serious. They're starting to fall out with one another. One another. They're starting to argue. Starting to argue with Moses. Moses' response is, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? They have forgotten that any quarrel they have is with the Lord, not with his representative, not with Moses, who stands between them and God. They've forgotten that as they quarrel with Moses, they effectively quarrel with, with the Lord. But they are thirsty. And they continue to grumble against Moses. It's interesting to read in verse 3 of chapter 17 that their response is, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Notice, make us and our children and livestock die of thirst. They, They see these actions this route that God is taking them on, that Moses is taking them on, as an opportunity to kill them off. They do not see God's goodness at work. They do not see God's care at work. They do not see God's provision at work. God preempts Moses' approach and God responds. Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Moses responds, does as the Lord commands. And water comes out. God is present when this happens. God increasingly makes his presence known. Increasingly does things in front of the people of Israel, in front of the elders, those who need to pass on to those under them, to the people of Israel, to the individuals, that God is in control, that God is the provider, and that he can be trusted to care for them. Finally, let's look at uh, the final part of chapter 17, starting with verse 8. And the Amalekites, so we're moving away from the provision of food and water. We're now 
talking about an attack by the Amalekites who have come and attacked them just where they have received that water from the rock. Moses says to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. You would think from that comment that Moses is just going to take an oversight of the battle, maybe send some commands to the, to, to the fighting men down on the ground. But actually, Moses is at the heart of the battle. Moses goes up the hill with Aaron and Hur, and as long as Moses holds his hands up, the Israelites are winning. As soon as he lowers his hands, as soon as his arms get tired, the Amalekites start winning. The easiest way for Moses to stand is with his arms down. The hardest way is with the hands up. And God honors Moses as he stands with his hands up. That is the way he is going to support his people and bring them through this battle. In fact, Moses is, this is such a strenuous exercise that Aaron and her have to hold his hands up to ensure that the battle's outcome is positive. But it's not Aaron and her, it's not Moses that has given the battle, the victory to Joshua and the Israelites. It's God. It, through, the, through the response of Moses, through the response of, of Aaron and her in responding to him. So, four stories and four sets of provisions. What is God providing in these stories? He's providing drinkable water at Mara, where there was, the water was too unfit to drink. He's providing bread, meat, and rest when he, when he brings uh, manna and quail. He provides water from the rock and he provides protection and victory when the Amalekites attack his people. But each of these is achieved not through human strength, not through human ingenuity, not through human ability, but through God and through God's provision. Despite the lack of faith and the lack of of recognition that he can provide by the people of Israel. Instead, faced with their groaning and moaning, their quarreling, their complaining, he has shown them grace and mercy. Isn't that the story with all of us? It's God's grace That we, are, that we are provided with what we need. So 
So let's think a little bit about what is God doing as he brings the people of Israel through these four different events and provides these various needs that they have. Let's start with the first one. Water. It reminds us and sets the scene for Jesus. John 4.10, the woman at the well. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. God provides water when they most need it to the people of Israel. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the living water for us to allow us to live eternally with him in glory. John 7, verses 37 to 38, at the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. One Corinthians ten. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. Directly referencing the Exodus, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Directly referencing that rock and the water that poured out of it after Moses struck it on God's instructions. What about the provision of bread and meat? We heard this morning, uh, and we heard last week, about the feeding of the 5,000, and Nathan referenced it uh, this morning. John 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's interesting in that particular passage in John 6, verse 41 the response is more grumbling. The people of Israel never learn, and we will see that as we go on. Or at least, as much as they learn, they often forget a lot of it as well. Also think of stories like uh, the story of Elijah being fed by ravens, the widow at Zarephath, and, and, and the little flour and oil that she had that continued to multiply to allow her to keep eating with her son. God is a God who provides. What about rest? God provides us rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants us to find our rest in him. God wants to provide that rest to us. Just as he instructed the people of Israel to rest on that Sabbath day, that he would provide their needs for that day without them needing to do any extra work during it. Because he wanted them to rest. And he was preparing them for the fact that that day was to be set aside for him. So that's how God provided for the people of Israel through these passages. But is there something else going on here? Is there a bigger plan in action? God, Or is he just meeting the needs that they have as they arise and he's putting them through these places where they need to rely on him? What is God teaching his people beyond that he is a provider? These people are new to freedom. They are new to being without a master. God has chosen them in his promise to Abraham. These are his people. But this process of exodus is a process of teaching them and training them and transforming them from people who who are his in name only to people who respond to him as as his people and who understand what it means to be his people. These stories show that being God's people comes with responsibilities. They have responsibilities to him, to obey him, to trust him, to rely on him. Instead of grumbling about the fact that they haven't got enough food to eat, they haven't got enough water to drink, or they haven't got the right food or the right drink. Ask him and he will provide. Those that went out to collect food on the Sabbath found nothing. If they had not collected double the day before, they didn't have anything to eat. If they tried to keep more than they should have done, it went rotten. He is teaching his people to obey, to trust, to rely on him. Those are his people's responsibilities under him. Those are our responsibilities under God as part of his people, having chosen to bow the knee to him.
but also they show what it means that he is their God. His faithfulness to them. He will be faithful. They will be his priority. And he will be generous in his faithfulness. In every one of these circumstances, he gave them exactly what they asked for, exactly what they were harking after, exactly what they needed. There wasn't any skimping. There wasn't somebody without. Even the manna was sweet like honey. This wasn't just a, let's keep you sustained, let's keep you alive. This is, let's feed you, let's, let's ensure that you are satisfied. In Spanish, there's a word, satisfacto. Very similar to satisfied, but it's got a richer meaning of being complete, of being fed to a completeness. Not that you're over full, but that you are complete. You have no need of anything more. And finally, he's teaching this people, his people, how to live as free people. Let's think where they've come from. Enslaved in Egypt, forced into, into, into strenuous labor, threat to their lives, the lives of their newborn sons. How would the people of Israel have lived? What would have been their approach to life? What would have been their thought processes? Slaves focus on material things, always looking for the next bit of food that they might be able to scrounge somewhere. Slaves always fear a lack of things, a lack of enough food, a lack of enough rest. Slaves cannot rest. They are constantly called on to do work by their masters. Slaves rarely enjoy life. Slaves are subject to the world around them, not to God. Their worldly masters have control of their lives. God is in the process of changing the mindset of his people that they do not need to focus on material things because he will provide those for them. They do not need to fear a lack of, things, of, of the things that they need in their lives. He will provide them. Slaves do not fear that they will not be able to rest. He's given them a day when they can rest when they do not need to feel the need to work, to gather food. He's going to teach them how to enjoy life, to enjoy the life that he has given to them. And he's in the process of teaching them to be subject to him, not to the world around them.
Think of the rich young ruler. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. As believers, those who've been called out by the Lord, out of this world, we need to relearn what it means to live as free people. Free, not in the sense of outside of jail. Maybe some of us do or will need to or have done. But to be free of the influence of the world. Influence of sin. Influence of the things that will drag us down into the clutches of Satan. And that is a journey. This journey for the Israelites continues to the promised land. We know that there are challenges ahead for them. And we will look, see those as we get, continue to go through Exodus. But God is in the process of teaching them and training them. He knows where they've come from and he knows where he wants to take them. He wants them to trust him as he provides for their needs in that process and does so with grace and mercy because he understands them and he understands where they've come from. So just to finish... What does this mean for us? What can we be asking ourselves? The first thing is, these verses talk about Jesus being our provision. They foretell Jesus. And the first question must be, is Jesus our eternal provision? Do we look to him? Have we bowed the knee to him? Have we accepted that he is the only place where we can find living water where we can find the bread of life. If not, then we're lost. And nothing else we can do will help us get out of the desert. We need to bow the knee to Jesus to see him as our provision. How faithful are we as God's people? Do we understand what it means to be faithful to him as his people? Trusting him. Looking to him to supply our needs. To be transformed by him. Not by the world around us. Do we recognize God's faithfulness to us? Even at the end of this pa these passages, I'm not sure we can be confident in saying that the people of Israel really understand and have accepted that God is their provision. That he is able to meet their every need. Because they continue to grumble and they continue to blame Moses for where they are instead of going to him. Do we recognize God's faithfulness? And finally, are we living as free people? 
in our everyday lives, in our lives at work, in our lives at home, in our lives with our friends? Do we live as free people? Free in God's eyes. Trusting him. Serving him. Looking to him to meet our needs. The great provision. Bitter water into, into sweet at Merah. Manna and quail in the desert that will continue for 40 years. Water from the rock. And victory over the Amalekites. Because God is in control. And God's is with his people. Amen.